this is Rosemary Lally, the editor at CII. Most of you probably know me from the governance alert that CII publishes every Thursday. I'm talking with Galen Spielman, a senior associate for U.S. compensation research at Institutional Shareholder Services, or ISS. Welcome, Galen, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. The pandemic forced many U.S. public companies to dramatically change the way they conduct business. Sometimes these changes affected employees, either through layoffs, cutbacks, or challenging workplace conditions. At the same time, the U.S. stock market continued to surge. As a result, executive pay at some of these companies did not reflect the hardships experienced by their workforces. This disconnect seems to have prompted shareholders in these companies to take a more critical look when they were casting their say on pay ballots. So Galen, um, could you please give us a snapshot of how say on pay proposals at Russell 3000 companies actually fared during the 2021 proxy season? Yeah, absolutely. So Generally speaking, overall support for say on pay proposals remained remained high, but support levels did decrease in 2021. They decreased from 95.3% in 2020, slightly lower to 95.1% in 2021. And this is actually the lowest level recorded since mandatory say on pay votes began in 2011. Having said that, it's clear from those numbers that overall support levels remain relatively high. Having said that, there are some negatives. The percentage of companies with failed say on pay votes increased to 2.6% in 21, up from 2.1% in 2020. And this is actually tied with 2012 as the highest failure rate since mandated votes began. Now, there are some good things. Although median support levels continue to decline and failure rates increased, the percentage of companies with a relatively low level of support. And for these purposes, I'm defining relatively low as less than 70% support for say on pay. These dipped slightly with only 6.7% of companies in 2021 receiving relatively low support compared to 6.9% in 2020. Also positive, despite a higher failure rate in 2021, most companies still continue to receive strong support. In fact, 77% of companies saw greater than 90% support for their say on pay proposal, which is slightly higher, two percentage points higher uh, than, than last year. Looking at the longer term voting data from ISS over the past four years, um, uh, it shows average say on pay for support dipping only slightly each year. By contrast, though, recent headlines seem to have told a different story, um, a more dramatic story about shareholder pushback on executive pay this past proxy season. Why do you think that is the case? Well, this is this is I think it's it's a somewhat tough question. In, in my opinion, I believe that the current economic, social, and political climate has placed. There's a greater emphasis placed on executive compensation, and this is particularly at the largest companies where you generally see the largest pay packages. Now, it makes for a great headline, and many companies elected to freeze or reduce base salaries in the wake of the pandemic. But these disruptions caused by the pandemic 
and these freezes in base salary did not really affect the overall growth and total CEO pay. Median total pay at S&P 500 companies reached an all-time high of $13.4 million in 2020. And median pay for CEOs at non-S&P Russell 3000 companies also reached an all-time high, albeit significantly lower at $4.3 million. In terms of the reason why there seems to be more, more pushback on executive compensation, particularly in the news, I, I think that there are some frustrations among labor-minded investors that are focused on workplace issues, pay disparity, similar issues, and oftentimes the largest companies uh, are targeted in these instances. This is where you see the, these issues that affect the largest number of employees. In the past year, some companies laid off 10,000 uh, 10, or more employees. This this receives great. This is inevitably is placed under a greater microscope when we're analyzing executive compensation, and in in many cases, in some cases at least, investors took opposition to these pay packages at the largest companies. In fact, several of very high profile S and P five hundred companies did not receive majority support for their say on pay proposal this year. So, Galen, how did the pandemic factor into ISS's evaluation of executive pay plans this past proxy season? And will any of those considerations carry forward into the next season? Yeah, so unquestionably, the pandemic caused significant disruptions across multiple industries. It Everyone experienced the effects of the pandemic from Companies, executives, shareholders, certainly the everyday, the everyday working person. Based on the effects of the pandemic and the feedback that we received from investors, investors indicated that certain decisions that may raise concerns in ordinary years could be viewed as reasonable given the extraordinary circumstances of the economic downturn. So based on this feedback, we had to take a somewhat different approach to how we evaluated certain pay decisions in the context of the pandemic under our qualitative analysis of executive pay programs. And I would suggest that all of our listeners review the COVID compensation policies FAQ that we released last year as it provides a great overview of how we analyzed a number of pay decisions. But I can provide a very high-level overview just for the benefit of listeners. One of the most common COVID-related pay decisions was a, a change or adjustment to the annual incentive or bonus program. Throughout the 2021 proxy season, which relates to 2020 pay, of course, we saw many companies make adjustments to their short-term programs. These came in all shapes and all sizes. Some companies elected to modify metrics, performance targets, measurement periods, results, basically the entire gamut was covered. Other companies elected to grant one-time one -time discretionary bonuses or just make discretionary decisions and effectively throw out the bonus program. Based on the feedback we received from many of our, of our investors, we 
we analyzed adjustments to annual incentive programs in the context of the pandemic. And for this reason, certain adjustments to these programs that would otherwise be viewed as unreasonable were were analyzed in the context of the significant economic downturn that companies faced, the fact that many companies' targets were effectively rendered obsolete due to the pandemic, and the need of compensation committees to figure out a way to incentivize and retain executives, which is a significant concern in a climate such as this. So generally speaking, we many changes to bonus programs were viewed as reasonable, but with the caveat that we closely looked to determine that ultimate payouts were reasonable, that disclosure regarding the rationale for the changes was was very clear and allowed investors on an individual basis to assess those changes. Now, in terms of long-term adjustments, the feedback we received from investors last year is that long-term incentives should generally not be adjusted based on short-term market shock. And for this reason, we closely scrutinized adjustments to long-term incentive programs. Having said that, there were nevertheless a number of companies that made adjustments to long-term incentives. And in fact, in some of the particularly high-profile S&P 500 companies that failed to receive majority support, a number of those companies made adjustments to their long-term incentive programs, which had the effect of providing executives with realized pay outcomes or greater pay opportunities than under the original program design. In terms of another, I would say another fairly common decision that compensation committee members made during this last proxy season, although significantly less common than annual bonus adjustments, was a decision to grant special or one-time awards, retention awards, basically any form of award that was supplemental to the regular incentive program structure. And I would say that under our analysis, we acknowledge that there may be a need for supplemental awards, retention awards, given the climate that we were in and the need to focus on executive retention. However, we still scrutinize the awards closely. We, we continue to look for clear disclosure regarding the reason and rationale for the magnitude and structure of the award. Um, and we continue to raise concerns when awards were not reasonable in magnitude or were a what I would call a recurring practice. Also, when awards did not carry strong performance vesting criteria, that was a that was a concern that we that we consistently highlighted in our reports. And like long-term incentive adjustments, I would note that several of the largest companies that failed to receive majority support for the SAMPA proposal granted sizable, very sizable one-time awards this year. Next year, so now we are more than a year removed, a year into the pandemic, and I think it's safe to say that 
we can no longer just classify the effects of the pandemic as short-term market shock. So while I would say that a number of the considerations that we factored in last year will continue to be considerations that we, that we factor in this upcoming year, we are continuing to receive and request investor feedback on certain pay decisions, given the length of time that has elapsed since the start of the pandemic and the fact that companies in certain industries are now effectively experiencing long-term disruptions. Um, so, Galen, during normal proxy seasons, what would you say are the four major red flags that prompt ISS to recommend votes against say-on-pay proposals? Yeah, sure. So, I think there are a number of red flags or concerns that we look for when we are analyzing pay programs under our qualitative analysis. I, I think it's a great question, honestly. I would say that historically, two of the biggest concerns that we identify when we're analyzing a company's pay program are a lack of performance-based equity in the long-term program. Investor preference has gravitated towards a, a strong preference for the majority of equity awards to carry rigorous performance criteria. And when we don't see that structure in the long-term program, that is a that is a quick flag in our view, and it's it's a concern that we consistently raise. Another very you know ongoing concern that we raise is a lack of rigorous goals, um, whether it be in the short-term program or the long-term program. So those are two you know what I would classify as of two of the most consistent concerns that we that we raise uh, that we raise throughout our reports and particularly when a company exhibits a quantitative pay for performance misalignment between a misalignment between CEO pay and company performance these these are significant concerns i would say another bucket of concerns would be what we consider to be problematic pay practices or ppps for for short and this these practices are basically practices that many investors view to be just egregious and against market practice and could warrant an against recommendation just on the basis that they exist and override an otherwise reasonable alignment between pay and performance. And just to shoot off a few of these, this list would include egregious provisions in newer recently amended agreements, such as golden parachute excise tax gross-ups or single-trigger single severance payments, um, excessive perquisites or replacing or repricing underwater stock options. And I just want to say that one noteworthy problematic pay practice that we do continue to identify is the payment of severance in connection with what is at least disclosed as a voluntary resignation or retirement. And from the feedback we've received from investors, most investors we have spoken to believe that severance is really only intended for either an involuntary job loss or a constructive termination, and it's really not appropriate benefit for voluntary departures. At this point, I guess I've raised three, lack of performance-based equity, lack of rigorous goals, and PPPs. The last one I would say is companies that grant one-time or special awards that raise significant structural concerns or are not an isolated practice or really lack clear disclosure regarding the rationale for the award 
and how the award furthers interests. I would say that special or one-time awards are closely analyzed when we when we when we see them in a company's pay program because they are often they by their nature are supplemental to regular pay opportunities and so pay for performance concerns are are typically heightened in these cases. Thank you Galen. That seems very uh logical and I appreciate that. Um so I was wondering in what kinds of circumstances does ISS take it to the next level and not only recommend a vote against the say on pay plan but also against members of the company's compensation committee as well. When we recommend against compensation committee members, this typically falls into three three large buckets. So the first one would be if the company does not have a say on pay proposal on the ballot, then the next our next avenue and the closest avenue towards voicing concerns with executive compensation is the compensation committee. Most companies now hold say on pay votes annually, but some companies are laggards in this respect and hold the vote every three years. So in the absence of a say on pay proposal, we would target compensation committee members, incumbent compensation committee members. The second is if there are recurring problematic issues or responsiveness concerns. And I should have probably said this last because if a company has demonstrated poor responsiveness to a relatively low vote support for say on pay in the prior year, then that is an avenue in which we may recommend against compensation committee members. So just to highlight one more time, in the absence of a say on pay proposal on the ballot, if a company has demonstrated poor responsiveness to a low vote support in the prior year, or if there are recurring problematic issues or responsiveness concerns. So ISS has generally expressed concern about compensation plans at companies where say on pay proposals have received less than 70% of the votes cast. Um, Shouldn't year over year change factor in? For example, a one-year drop from 98% to 80% at a company could indicate something is awry, even if the tally is safely above the 70% threshold. Sure. So that's an interesting question. And I think just for the benefit of listeners, I'd just like to quickly go through our responsiveness policy, because I think that's what you're getting at with the less than 70% supportive votes cast. So... Under ISS policy, when a company receives less than 70% of support for last year's say on pay proposal, this triggers our compensation committee communication and responsiveness policy. And under this policy, we it's a three-pronged analysis, and we analysis the company's engagement efforts with shareholders. We assess the disclosure of the feedback received from shareholders, particularly those that opposed last year's SAM pay proposal. And lastly, we assess the committee's responses to the feedback received. So actions taken or commitments made in response to the concerns expressed by shareholders. So in that case, in that instance, we, we, there, there is a further analysis that occurs when a company receives less than 70% of votes cast. Now, 
In terms of whether year-over-year change should factor in, I, I think that is an interesting question. I would say that our policy, our responsiveness policy, was adopted at the time. It was adopted based on the feedback we received from investors through the policy survey and through our roundtable discussions that occur throughout the year. In terms of consistency, this is a policy that we do need to apply across thousands of companies. And for this reason, and I think many investors realize this also, there needs to be somewhat of a readily available bright line test that we can apply. In addition, I think it's worth noting that in our position, and certainly for companies, an assessment of negative responsiveness is viewed as a very, very serious matter that could potentially result in adverse recommendations against compensation committee members. And we take this very seriously. And we, we really want to ensure that this, this heightened scrutiny and analysis of responsiveness really stems from a meaningful level of shareholder dissent. And for that reason, that is why we use the 70% threshold. We, we want to see that meaningful level of shareholder dissent. In addition, I would just say that I think that there are certain, there are certain external factors that can, that can result in year-over-year shifts in vote support that, that may not be indicative, indicative of a good or bad pay program. But at this point, the, the bright, what I would call is a fairly bright line test for determining whether a company is subject to responsiveness is the test that we use. Going forward, I noticed that ISS's annual benchmark uh, policy, policy survey, the one that you mentioned previously, um, it's asking clients if they think ESG considerations should be factored into ISS's evaluations of executive pay plans. What do you see as the positives and negatives of this potential change? Well, first of all, thank you for plugging our survey one more time. Um, that is greatly appreciated. I, I, I would caution that I, I believe that investors' views towards ESG metrics do tend to vary significantly based on, on the region, as well as the region of the investor, the region of, of the company. In the U.S., at this point, I would say that this question should not particularly be read to indicate a, an immediate major shift in how we analyze ESG metrics. So I can't opine too much. I will say that there, I believe that the potential impacts will be, will be particularly felt outside the U.S., but I can give just my own personal, uh, my own personal positives and negatives. And, and frankly, the question does, the policy survey question does a great job of laying out a couple of the pros and a couple of the, of the cons, so to speak. In terms of positives, the purpose of incentive programs, one of the major purposes is to incentivize executives to achieve certain, certain goals that companies believe are important. And proponents argue that companies will take ESG issues more seriously and have better business outcomes if pay is linked to the achievement of these ESG metrics. Now, that's a big positive. There are some there are some negatives though. And one is that ESG metrics at least have the potential to be difficult to quantify in concrete terms. And this can make it difficult to assess 
the rigor of these goals and can provide, can create opacity between pay decisions and, and the, the metrics and goals that are used. So I think that the potential for a lack of transparency between the, between the metrics and the goals that are being used and the outcomes is one of the concerns that can at least be potentially raised through these issues. Although I think that personally speaking, at least that many things can be quantified if, if companies elect to. So along these same lines, ESG metrics can be based on inputs such as investment in a carbon reduction program, or they can be based on outputs like hitting predetermined carbon, carbon output reduction targets. Do you think ISS would be neutral on these two approaches, or do you think we will see ISS gravitate toward favoring results-oriented metrics? So I would say that we generally take the position that compensation committees are in the best position to determine the metrics that motivate executives to achieve company-specific business strategies. And for this reason, we generally do not favor or disfavor the use of certain metrics when assessing pay program structures. So in terms of input versus output, certainly our, our, our approach to pay decisions is based on the feedback we receive from investors. And on a company level, if it, investors express particular concerns with the use of a metric and a company is subject to responsiveness, then we may analyze the company's response to the inclusion or exclusion of certain metrics. Having said that, I would say that more important to analysis is, is, is the fact that is that a company fully disclose the performance metrics that are utilized, fully disclose the, the target minimum and maximum goals, and fully disclose the actual results and the rationale for selecting certain metrics. And for this reason, these, these very key disclosures allow investors to assess the structure of the program and really link the metrics to corporate strategy and long-term shareholder value creation. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. You have provided some really great insight into Say on Pay. And thank you very much again. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure to take part in the Thank podcast. you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.